urgency often shows up in the absence of systems. And some of you have people knocking on your door all the time as leaders asking you questions that could have been answered in a properly documented system. And so if you want freedom from urgency, recognize that that's an incredibly difficult proposition because it's going to require you to slow down to document your systems. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, today is going to be so powerful because today we're closing out uh, what is a two-part series on a topic that really came about as a result of a team training that we were doing in Alaska. One of the attendees of the team training said the phrase that has become the theme for these two episodes because he said that the thing that he wanted to focus on, the thing that he wanted to learn, the thing that he wanted to absorb, the thing that was the key to the impact that the business needed to make was freedom from urgency. I love that phrase so much, freedom from urgency. And so often as I've spent time kind of observing others, but also on really applying that phrase to myself, I've recognized that it's a deep-seated need, especially for impact-driven leaders. Because we talked about this in part one, and if you haven't listened to that, that would probably be helpful. We'll put the link to that episode in the show notes. But one of the things that we said is that the price of impact is sustained focus. So if, if you want to make an impact, if you want to make a difference, if you want to have a business that actually leaves a lasting legacy, what you need to understand is that the price of impact, the ability to do that is contingent upon one very important ingredient, and that is your relentless and ruthless commitment to sustained focus. So the price of impact is sustained focus. But then the second thing that we need to understand about sustained focus is that the enemy of sustained focus is unending urgency. The enemy of sustained focus is unending urgency. And so as we've walked through in part one, and we'll continue today in part two, what we're focusing on is the six essentials to find and to create freedom from urgency. But before we jump into kind of the review of the essentials and we'll jump into the next three essentials and really dive deep into those, what I want you to understand is why this is so important is just a principle that we believe deeply at Path for Growth. I believe this for your personal life. I believe this for your leadership. I believe this for your business. I believe for this for the people you influence. Freedom is a learned skill. I'm going to say it again. Freedom is a learned skill. Entrepreneurship is this really popular topic today. And everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Everyone wants to have the benefits and blessings associated with owning your own business, with being your own boss. And that's an awesome thing. But what I want you to know is that entrepreneurship has very little to do with your freedom. Freedom is a learned skill. Freedom is a choice. And just because you have the title of entrepreneur or you have a title of business owner, what I've seen is you can have the title of business owner and be not free at all. You could also be an eight to five employee and be outrageously free because it has nothing to do with your occupation. It has everything to do with your mindset, your attitude, and your approach. So what we need to understand is that your freedom is not the reflection of your job. Your freedom is a reflection of your attitude. 
How are you approaching your life? Are you choosing to be free or are you choosing to submit yourself to the bondage of other people's priorities, of other people's expectations, of other people's opinions, of your own harsh expectations and opinions? Because yeah, you may be your own boss, but maybe you're a horrible boss. And so the biggest thing that I want you to know is just the idea that, oh, I've become an entrepreneur, so now I'm free. That is not true. You have to choose every single day, deliberately and decidedly, to be free. And it's looking through that lens that we've started to create six essentials to experience and create and choose freedom from this topic of urgency. And so in part one, we walked through the first three essentials. Number one was margin. And one of the things that we talked about when we went over margin was the idea that frenzy is a choice. And the idea behind margin is that you need to schedule space to ensure success. We do this in our finances. We talk about profit margin. We do this on a paper. We talk about the margins on the side of a paper to ensure we don't run off the page. But too often, what I see is that leaders are moving at such a fast pace that they do not schedule margin in their schedule to ensure success. So the first essential is margin. The second essential is intentionality. And one of the things that we described is that too often we use this word intentional as a replacement for the word good. And intentional and good are two radically, radically, radically different things because intentionality means you as a leader, you as a business, you as a person are operating with a sense of intent. To, to use Stephen Covey's line, you start with the end in mind. So whether you're creating a three-year plan, a one-year plan, a quarterly priority, or an agenda for your meeting, it is so crucial that you start with the end in mind, that you start with a sense of intent because that will give you focus and your focus will stand opposed to urgency. So we need to establish margin. We need to create a sense of intentionality. And then finally, we need to be a person that exercises proper boundaries. One of the illustrations that has just continued to stick with me as I wrote this content was that a river is made powerful by its banks. If you've ever been around a rushing river, one of the things that we need to understand is the thing that separates a river from a puddle is that a river has banks and it has direction and flow and focus as a result. And what I want you to know is that a leader is made or broken by the power of their commitments. Your commitments represent your banks. And if you are a leader that has no commitments with regard to your values, with regard to your time, with regard to your relationships, if you are someone that is operating without commitments, you are a sitting stagnant, toxic puddle instead of being a powerful, rushing, raging river. And I want so bad for you to recognize that your power, your effectiveness, your commitment, your service as a leader, is going to be made powerful by your boundaries. So we said that we need to have margin, we need to have intentionality, and we need to have boundaries. And it's in that context that today we are stepping into part two of freedom from urgency, and we're going to talk about three more essentials. I'm going to give them to you high level, and then we're going to walk through these. Number one is systems. And this is a popular topic today, but I think we might actually come at it a little bit differently. We could obviously spend a whole episode on the topic of systems, and maybe we will one day. But if you, as a leader, are going to experience freedom from urgency, you've got to get good at establishing and maintaining proper systems. Number two is uh, more of a heart thing than a head thing. It's humility. One of the things that I've recognized is that the leaders that I most deeply respect because they experience freedom are the leaders that just happen to be the most humble. 
And so I want to talk about the topic of humility. And then number three is endings. And I really fell in love with this topic through the lens of leadership when I read Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings. And we're going to talk a little bit about the concepts of that book and how you can apply them and practice them in your life and your leadership. So we said number one was systems. And I want to start off the section on systems with a question for you. So many of the leaders that we work with are visionary leaders. I think you could trade or, or exchange the word visionary leader for impact-driven leader because so often we work with leaders that they are characterized by outrageous energy, outrageous passion. They deeply love people. They have this ability sometimes to see a future that does not yet exist. Some of you, you know I'm talking to you and, and you know that uh, like I'm literally thinking of you right now as I'm saying this. You, can, you have this ability to envision the future so real that it's almost like it's already happened. And you talk about this future as though it's already happening. And I just love that. I think that's so powerful and it's such a gift. I truly believe it's a God-given ability to envision a future that does not yet exist. And it's something that makes you into a wonderful, incredible, and passionate leader. But here's the question that I want to ask you if you are a visionary leader. Do you have the systems to keep you where your vision takes you? I'm going to ask it again. Do you have the systems to keep you where your vision takes you? I think so often we can dream these big dreams and we can even be about the business of just exerting outrageous willpower and resolve and just force of personality to make these dreams into reality, which again, it's an incredible gift. But the downside or the weakness associated with that gift is if you're not careful, that business's growth and effectiveness will be completely contingent on your charismatic personality. And that's not okay because sometimes your charismatic personality needs to take a vacation. Sometimes your charismatic personality is going to be sick. Also, and this is going to tie in a little bit to humility as well, your charismatic personality isn't going to be around forever. This is why systems are so important. Because we need to make sure we have the operations necessary to keep us where our vision takes us. So what is a system? Well, my favorite definition of it is a set of principles or procedures according to which something is done, an organized framework or task. So that's what a system is. It's essentially saying this is the way that we do things here. And what you need to understand is that you have systems around you every day. In your personal life, if you have a morning routine, you have a system, right? There's things that you do every day. You have a system for getting to work during the day because you do it the same way every single time. And what I want you to recognize is even in your business, some uh, scrappy entrepreneurs say, we just don't have any systems. And I would argue that that's actually probably not true. You probably have systems. You probably just don't have documented and formalized systems. And so recognize that there are repeated ways of doing things all around you. And if we just slow down and open our eyes and pay attention, then what we can do is we can start to observe those systems. That's step one. And then we can start to document those systems. That's step two, so that they can be repeated and reproduced when you are no longer around. So with regard to this topic of systems, and like I said, we could spend an entire episode on this topic and maybe we will one day. I want to answer three questions. 
Number one question, and we've already kind of dove into this a little bit, is why do you establish a system? Why is it so important? Number two is when do you establish a system? When is the proper time? Because if we do it too early, it can actually harm our business more than help our business. And then number three, how do you establish a system? So I want to walk through why, then I want to walk through when, and then we're going to walk through how with regard to this topic of systems. So let's start with why do you establish a system? Um, there's kind of this popular culture around business literature and business marketing and leadership marketing right now that kind of uh, promotes this idea of you establish a system so that you can be on a beach with a margarita. <laughs> and I mean, I love beaches and I love margaritas, right? I'm, I'm all about that, right? But here's the deal. That's not why you establish a system. That is not a worthy enough aspiration for us to do the hard work of establishing and creating great systems. Here's why we establish great systems, because we want to create workflow consistency and reliability. That's why. You establish, you create, you define great systems because you want to create workflow consistency, number one, and reliability, number two. Here's who this applies to. If you are in a position as a leader where the work gets done one way when you're doing it, and it gets done maybe a little bit degree of difference, but relatively the same when you're around, but then you leave the building and the work gets done in a completely different way or doesn't get done at all, you need systems. Because you can always evaluate the systemic health of an organization by looking at what happens when the leader is absent. I'm going to say that again because I think that's really important. You can always evaluate the systemic health of an organization by looking at how the work happens when the leader is absent. Because I've worked with so many incredible leaders that truly there really isn't that much of a difference between when they're in the office and when they're not. The work still gets done, and, and that's impressive in its own, but even more impressive than that, it still gets done the same way. And so that is an incredible example of the existence of systems because the leader has clearly done the hard work, or I should probably say leaders and the team has done the hard work of creating replicable processes to ensure that the work gets done and it gets done the same way, regardless of whether the leader is present or not. And think about that as an act of service. So it's not just this selfish improvement idea of the only reason why I'm doing this is so I can be on a beach with a margarita. I, I mean, I want you to go to the beach and I want you to have margaritas, but that's not a worthy enough purpose to do the hard work of creating systems. Here's what I really want. I want your team to be a part of work that is meaningful and that they're doing it the best way so they're not wasting time. So I want them to be privy to the best practices and principles for accomplishing the work in the best way. And I want them to be engaged in this adventure of constantly iterating on the systems that have been established. So that's the first reason why. But then number two, I'm thinking about your customer. And a business without systems is a nightmare for their customers because the customer's experience with that organization or with that business is entirely dependent on who's in the office that day and the way they choose to do their work that day. That's not serving your customer well. I've used them as an example on here before, but one of the places that I really love and one of the reasons why is because I respect their system is Chipotle. Have you been to a Chipotle? I mean, it's like so remarkably consistent. 
I know that I will be brought through that line efficiently. I know that I will be given a specific amount of food because they measure the amount of food that they're using. I know that they'll look me in the eye and make eye contact with me and say hi whenever they start. I know that they'll always ask me if I want to add guac and then they'll tell me, hey, it costs a little extra. All of those things are part of a remarkable system that makes that restaurant just so incredibly efficient and effective, right? I'm a a Chipotle fan, if you couldn't tell. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being able to provide a consistent experience for your customer because systems create workflow consistency and reliability. So that's why you establish a system. Now let's talk about when you establish a system. Here's the answer to that question. When do I start to establish a system? Anytime you repeatedly do something the same way because it's the best way to do it. Now, I want to get you on board with this idea, but just as much as this, I I want you to get your team on board with this idea. And if you want to share this podcast episode with them, you can absolutely do that. But regardless of where you are on the org chart, here's what I want you to know. Anytime you repeatedly do something the same way because it is very clearly the best way to do it, it's time to establish a system. It's time to document it. It's time to say, this is the best way to do it. And until a better way presents itself, this is the way that we do it. And obviously, this should all fall under the overarching umbrella of our organization's mission and core values. Those are the defining principles that serve as the bedrock through which we build systems. But that's when you establish a system. Now, here's why this is so important. It says, anytime you repeatedly do something, if if you do something once, and it kind of works, that is not the time to establish a system because we really don't have enough proof text yet to define that that is the best way to do it. We're smack dab in the middle of this with regard to training Gerald and Kelly right now as one-on-one coaches are in our organization. And many of you have gotten to know them through their podcast conversations and episodes. One of the things that I'm having to do, because I've been the one-on-one coach for this organization up until this point over the course of the past year and three months, is I'm having to say, what are the things that I repeatedly do because it's the best way I know how? And then I need to say, okay, now I need to take those principles, take those practices, take those concepts, and I need to put them on paper so that they can be taught and reviewed. But if I just do something on one coaching call today for the first time and it kind of works and has a good effect, that is not the time to teach it to Gerald and Kelly because I have only done it one time. You only create a system when you have replicable success. And so that's when we create a system, when we repeatedly do something the same way because it's the best way to do it. So you create a system whenever you have a best practice. So we said why we create a system, because we want workflow consistency and reliability. We said when we create a system is when we repeatedly do something the same way because it's the best way to do it. Now I want to talk about how to create a system. I think so often people get intimidated by this idea of systems. And the reason why I know that is because I can deeply relate to that. I, I The idea of systems and processes is not my natural bent as a leader because I like casting the vision, right? And certainly I would tell you as a leader, if you are a vision casting leader, high energy, oftentimes can get distracted type leader, you need to hire your weaknesses and you need to surround yourself with people who love systems. That's Zach Estes in our organization. But then you also need to apply yourself to recognizing the validity and power of systems in your organization. So let's talk about 
how you establish a system, and it doesn't have to be as complicated as we often mentally make it. Here's how you establish a system, and this is a line that I got from my friend Chris Ronzio, who, I mean, I think he is probably one of our nation's leading authorities on this topic because he built a business called Trainual that literally does this for other businesses. He's such a brilliant leader. And what he says is three words, do, document, delegate. I'm going to say it again. Do, number one, document, number two, delegate, number three. This kind of ties into what we've already discussed with regard to when do you establish a system. But how do we establish a system? Number one, you do the thing. Okay, so whatever it is you're doing, and I'm talking it can be a menial task or it can be a massive workflow, you do the thing. This could be the way you have your organization check email. This could be the way you clean the office. This could be the way you hold a team meeting. This could be the way we lead a coaching call. This could be the way a customer interaction is held. This could be the way certain things are formatted with regard to creating documents that come from your organization. It's anytime you do a thing and then you start to do it repeatedly. It's like, man, every time I create this document, I do it the same way because it's most efficient and it's most effective. Wherever Every time I communicate to our customers about a change that we're making, I do it this way because it's most efficient and it's most effective. Or anytime I take out the trash, I do it this way because it's most efficient and it's most effective. You see what I'm talking about? It can be something massive in scale. Anytime we hold a full staff meeting, we do it this way because it's most efficient, most effective or incredibly minute and mundane. Anytime we clean the bathroom, we do it this way because it's most efficient and most effective. So you do the thing. And then inevitably you start to do the thing the same way because it's best. One of the things my coach told me whenever I was training for my first Ironman is he said, Alex, we're going to have you swim so much that you're going to become an efficient swimmer. And here's what he was saying is he said, your body has this ability. Once it knows the fundamentals of swimming, if you're swimming a ton, it's going to find a more efficient way to do it. And it's going to minimize wasted energy. And that is true for you and your team in the workplace. Anytime you tell someone to do a task and then do it repeatedly, they will naturally start to define the best way to do it because they don't want to waste time and they also don't want to waste energy, right? So we need to do the thing in such a repeated way that we're kind of saying, okay, we've defined a best practice. And then we need document. And this is where so many people slip up or fail with regard to their systems is their systems are out there in the ether of, oh, this is the way we do it, but they've never written them down. And I would tell you, because I work with so many of you, one of the greatest things that you can offer your team and the future of your business is you slowing down enough to take the time to write down, this is the way that we're doing it because it's best and write it clearly and write it concisely and put it in a bullet point format and then make it available to be iterated upon. So we need to have the humility as leaders, and we're going to jump into that more here in just a second, but we need to have the humility as leaders to say, that is the best way right now, but it may not always be the best way. And so if we ever find a better way, we're going to iterate on it. That's why I love Trainual so much. That's why we use Trainual is because Trainual gives you the ability to iterate as you are going, right? And it gives you the ability and your team the ability to change and modify as better practices avail themselves to you. But we need to do and then we need to document. 
documenting processes and systems does not have to be this outrageously difficult task if you just make it into a practice. You need to train your team and create a culture within your team where, hey, anytime we do something repeatedly and we say that's the way we do that here, we need to put it on paper and we need to make sure that those documents are accessible by everyone in the organization. Because you can see what happens here is systems stand directly opposed to urgency. Because urgency often shows up in the absence of systems. And some of you have people knocking on your door all the time as leaders asking you questions that could have been answered in a properly documented system. And so if you want freedom from urgency, recognize that that's an incredibly difficult proposition because it's going to require you to slow down to document your systems. So we do, and then we document, and it's only after we document that we delegate. I often don't follow this process if I'm not careful and if I'm not paying attention. I go, do delegate, right? I do this and then I delegate it. And that's not helpful, right? Because we don't have a standard by which we are holding the delegation accountable. We don't have a guide through which the person that we are delegating to can refer to and iterate upon and ask questions from. We just do and then we delegate. And as a result, anytime that person has questions or thoughts or hits blockers or things like that, they they don't consult a documented system, they consult a leader. And that creates urgency. So let's review. We said, why do you establish a system? Because you want to create workflow consistency and reliability. When do you establish your system? Anytime. You repeatedly do something the same way because it's the best way to do it. And how do you establish a system? Well, we're taking a a play out of Chris Ronzio's playbook from Trainual. You do it, and then you document it, the best practice, and then you delegate it, and you hand it off, and you do it in that order. So that's systems. And we can see how those systems stand opposed to urgency because it helps make you not the bottleneck on your organization's growth and progress. Okay, so we started with systems and now we're going to move to humility. This is a pretty big shift because I think systems can be a pretty logical topic. It's a head topic. And now we're going to shift completely to what is really a heart and soul topic because we're talking about humility. And here's kind of my thesis statement with regard to the topic of humility. As a leader, your desire to appear important conflicts with the work that is important. I'm going to say it again. As a leader, your desire to appear important often conflicts with the work that actually is important. Recognize that all of us have this sense of pride within us that we want to look important. And that's especially true if you're a leader, because I think to a degree, there's a little bit of ego that goes into wanting to be in charge of something. And that's not necessarily bad or evil as long as we acknowledge it, number one, and say, I'm willing to recognize that pride is a problem I struggle with. And then we actively work against it and humble ourselves to not just focus on appearing important, but actually doing the work that is important. My favorite definition of humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of one's self. And so it's through that lens that I want to walk through three truths about you. And I wrote these down as three truths about you as a leader and as a person. But what I want you to recognize is that the only reason why I was able to write these down as three truths about you is because they're three truths about me. And 
we need to reckon with these truths because we said that humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. So first truth about you and about me. Number one, you can't do it all. Anything is possible for you as a leader, but not everything is possible for you as a leader. And the reason why that is, is because yes, you are a leader, but you're also a human being. And one of the things that I know to be true about human beings is that they have limitations. And so if we want to do everything, we're going to end up not being effective in anything. That's why it's so important for you as a leader to reckon with your own sense of limitation and say, I'm going to create three priorities for this day, or we're going to have three overarching strategic priorities for this quarter because we can't do everything. One of the things that I've recognized is that the best leaders that I know are the ones who have a practiced discernment of knowing which fires to let burn. I'm going to say it again. Some of the strongest leaders that I know are the ones who have a practiced discernment of knowing which fires to let burn. And this is going to drive some of you perfectionists out there freaking crazy because the idea of letting a fire burn is is ludicrous to you, right? And I'm not saying you should let every fire burn because there are some fires you need to put out, but this kind of ties into what we've already talked about. You need to create systems to minimize the number of fires, but then you need to recognize there will still be fires. Fires are a part of running and operating a business, and you need to discern which ones demand your attention and which ones can be held off on or delegated to someone else. And there will be times where you say, I know that's a challenge. I know that's an issue. I know that's a problem right now, but I can't deal with it because this focus, these priorities, this work is too important to be sacrificed. Leadership is about understanding when and how to make proper trade-offs with your time. And if your strategy for approaching leadership and business is I'm going to put out every fire you will never experience freedom from urgency because you've convinced yourself of the lie that you can do it all and you can't. So first truth about you is you can't do it all. And you need to get good at discerning which fires demand your attention now because they really truly are urgent and which ones need to be either held off or delegated. And I will tell you, this is something we're doing in Path for Growth right now. We have limited resources, right? We have limited people. I have limited time and we recognize and, and deal with our own limitations because we're an organization that practices healthy growth. And that's what we teach to other leaders. And it's in that context that, I mean, we did a long-term vision planning meeting for the next three years of our company the other day. And we had a whole list of things that we could work on. And we, we had to reckon with the fact like, we're not going to be able to do all of that over the next three years. So we need to say everything that we could work on, but then we need to isolate the things that we should work on. And that's what you've got to do as well. And that ties into what we talked about in the previous episode about intentionality, because you have to have an end in mind to give you focus for which path to walk. So truth number one was you can't do it all. And that's about reckoning with our own limitations. Truth number two is you are really easily distracted. I'm going to say it again because some of you were distracted. You <laughs> are really, really, really easily distracted. This is so important for us to remember. I am such an easily distracted person. I mean, I know I've heard so many people use that joking illustration of squirrel, 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 squirrel. And at first it was funny. 
now it's just really sad <laughs> because I understand it's a joke and all of that. But what we're saying whenever we say that is I don't have the sense of focus necessary to create the impact that my heart deeply desires and is called to. And so I understand our desire to wipe it off as something just to laugh about. And at the same time, I would tell you your ability to be relentlessly distracted is something that you as a leader have to confront if you are going to make the impact that you deeply desire to make. You've got to have a sense of focus and you've got to recognize that you are really easily distracted. And so, yes, there has to be times of the day where you literally put away your phone and you do not have access to it where you literally go away from your office to do work that really matters because you have an inability to get it done around other people, where you literally tell people, I need to have one hour of quiet time to focus on the things that really matter. It's the leaders that don't deal with their ability to be easily distracted that are constantly distracted because they don't acknowledge the fact in the presence of other people that that's something that they have to deal with. And so what, what I would advise that you do is reckon with the fact that that's reality and that's not good or bad. That just is, but then you deal with reality. And so you put routines and rhythms in place to ensure that you can get the work done that needs to get done the important work so that you're not just constantly filled with days that are distracted by what's urgent that you put proper boundaries in place, whether that's a closed door, whether that's a turned off phone, or whether it's an out of office email signature. It's something that says, I can't constantly react because I've got to respond to the sense of priorities that we have as an organization. That is leadership. We have this phrase that, that I've started using a lot, stop reacting and start leading. And you can't do that if you don't recognize that your distraction is your responsibility. And if you're not willing to own that, and if you're going to blame other people or you're going to blame text messages, then you'll never be able to deal with it. So my action item for you on this point is deal with your distraction. Number one was you can't do it all. Number two is you are really easily distracted. Number three, and this is all about humility, is you like to be recognized and celebrated. And the reason why I can tell you that is because I like to be recognized and celebrated. And so it takes a really humble leader to, to just deal with the fact that it's like, yes, I like it when people pat me on the back. Words of affirmation is one of my love languages. I love when people see that I do good work and then say something about it. That's not a lack of humility to recognize that. That's just true. And I think it's uh, it's actually an expression of humility to say, I, I have an accurate viewpoint of myself to such a degree that I recognize that's true. But here's how this ties into the topic of freedom from urgency. You are often recognized and celebrated for accomplishing the things that are urgent. When you respond to the urgent, when you put out fires, when you deal with issues that are forefront of other people's minds, but maybe not on your own, you know what people do? 
They say, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You're so incredible. You put out that fire. You solved that problem. You're so remarkable. Oh my gosh. And, and they celebrate you and they applaud you and they recognize you. And they say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You saved me. You saved our organization. And, and all the time that you're spending receiving those applause is time that you're not doing the work that really deeply matters for the future of your team and for the future of the people that you exist to serve. Oh boy. Urgent is visible. And because urgent is visible, urgent is often celebrated and recognized. Contrast that with important work. The most important work you ever do as a leader may never be seen. These are the one-on-one -on -one meetings about someone's career future that is just between you and them. These are the working on the business hours that you spend to create a mission statement where you spend 6, 12, 18 hours in a room with a coach or by yourself or with a leadership team where no one will ever understand the deep work and thought that went into creating a purpose statement for a business like that. This is the time that you spend drafting a strategic plan where you don't get feedback on it until three months from now. What was the statement that we made at the beginning? As a leader, your desire to appear important often conflicts with the work that actually is important. And that's what we're talking about here. So it's a humble approach to recognize that you like to be recognized and you also love to be celebrated. And I love to be recognized and I love to be celebrated. But that need and that desire does not get to dictate my schedule. And I'm not going to only spend my time doing work that is recognized and celebrated because a lot of times important work isn't. So three truths about you. Number one, you can't do it all. Number two, you are really easily distracted. And number three, you like to be recognized and you like to be celebrated. And it's in that context that I want to talk about what humility does. So let's just list three actions and I'm going to run through these pretty quick and then we'll move on to the final point. What humility does, number one, establishes priorities and awareness of limitations because you can't do it all. We already said that. What does humility do? Number two, it minimizes distraction proactively. That may be closing your door. That may be doing work off-site in the morning. That may be turning off your phone. That may be letting people know, hey, I need two hours of quiet time. But it minimizes distractions because you know you are really easily distracted. And then number three, it accepts that important work is often unseen. Can you accept at a heart level that the most important work that you do as a leader may not be seen by anyone? That demands humility. So we said number one was systems. And that was a head thing. Then we jumped into humility. And if you couldn't tell, that was a heart thing. And real quick, before we move on from this topic of humility, I just want to give you three books on this topic that have really informed my approach to this topic and really have deepened my faith in the value of humility as a leadership practice. The first one is a book called Humility by Andrew Murray. It's a short book. You could probably read it in two to three sittings. And it is just, man, it is powerful and it is pointed, just like all of these are. The second one is by a pastor named Tim Keller, and it's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's actually a transcript of a sermon that he did on that same topic. And again, it just teaches you the fact that service demands self-forgetfulness. And then finally, the third one is a book called Humilitas, and that's actually by an Australian pastor named John Dixon. 
We'll put the link to all of those books in the show notes of this episode if you would like to get those because those three books are an incredible way to kind of do a deeper dive on assessing your own humility and talking about, okay, how do I bring this to life in service of others? But remember, humility is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. Okay, so we started with systems, we went to humility, and now we're going to close out appropriately with endings. And so much of my view on this topic as it relates to the topic of freedom from urgency is really informed by Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings. And it was in that book when someone gave it to me several, several years ago. It was right out of college that someone gave me this book. And I'm so grateful for that because I can point to ways that it truly changed my life and changed my leadership. But it was in that book that I, I read the phrase, leaders understand the value of proactive endings. And what I've found is that especially in the life of the impact-driven leaders, proactive endings is kind of a foreign concept. Now, as a leader, you probably do end things and you probably have ended things before, but too often we end things whenever it's so bad that we can't continue it. When we're suffering from burnout, when the relationship is burned, whenever it becomes so visible that the project or task or business isn't going to work, that's when we decide to end it when we are forced to. And what Henry says is that leaders understand the value of proactive endings, so they don't allow it to get as bad as it could be because they anticipate what's coming and they have the courage to do something about it. And this is all rooted in a principle that's so important for you to understand. As a leader, you will produce more than you can sustain. If you are effective, you will produce more than you can sustain. And so we already discussed this a little bit with regard to systems. Do you have the systems to keep you where your vision takes you? Because if you can't properly hand things off after you create it, your business is shot and it will hit a lid that it never gets past. But that's what Henry's talking about when he says you will produce more than you can sustain. And so you've got to find out how to hand things off or to end things. And there's just three questions that I want to ask you with regard to this topic of endings, because I think we can all buy into the idea of endings are something that I need to be practicing and applying myself to if I'm ever going to experience freedom from urgency. Because so many of you have so much urgency on your plate just because you have too much on your plate. You have made too many commitments and recognize that some of the commitments that you made, they're seasonal. Some of the commitments that you made were right for that season, but now they are at a stage where they need to be ended. And some of those commitments are relationships. Some of those commitments are meetings. Some of those commitments are habits and routines. Some of those commitments are projects or tasks. Some of those commitments are boards that you're sitting on. But recognize those are probably right for that season, but we're in a new season now. And if you don't proactively end them, you're going to be forced to deal with the fact that you're either burnt out or that you burn those relationships or that you weren't able to deliver. So we're going to practice proactive endings. And I want to ask you three questions about the things that are on your schedule and the things that are filling your time. Number one, what are the things that are on your schedule or filling your time that are good, but will never be best? What are the things that are good, but will never be best? And this is really hard to kind of discern and differentiate, but there are things on your schedule right now that represent a good use of your time. And that may even create a return for you, for your business, for the people that you serve. But if you're being really honest with yourself, those things will never be the best use of your time. 
And I believe that you have a responsibility to the people that you're leading to eventually bring an ending to those activities or transform them into something that could be best. Where this so often shows up is there's times on people's teams where it's like, man, this person's just such a good person, but they are never going to be the best person for this role. They are never going to be the person that can actually deliver on their KRA. And if that's the position that you're in, you either have to do the course correction work to get them to where they can be, or you have to start moving towards a different setup. And you either need to put that person in a better seat that's on the bus where they can be operating at their absolute best and what's best for the organization, or they need to go work for a different organization. What is good, but will never be best. Because if you allow too many of those things to sit, taking up your time, you will never experience freedom from urgency. Number two, what is sick or unhealthy and not showing signs of getting better? There might be things with regard to your schedule right now that it's an unhealthy use of time. And if you're being really honest with yourself, it doesn't show any signs of ever becoming healthy. Maybe you're sitting on a board that just doesn't seem very effective, but you feel deeply obligated to be there. And at the same time, you don't really trust that it's ever going to do what it should be doing. And you just keep showing up and it keeps taking up your time. And the whole time you keep showing up and the whole time you keep taking responsibility for other people's things, you are minimizing the impact in the things that you should be doing. And so what are the things that are an unhealthy use of your time or not a good use of your time and don't have any sign of ever becoming better? And then finally, and this is always a hard one to reckon with, what are the things that if you're being honest with yourself have been dead for a while, you're just afraid to admit it? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's meetings that you have to go to. Maybe it's specific products or service lines that if you read the P&L, the P&L tells you very clearly, this product line has been dead for a long time, but you've been spending time on it and energy on it because you've been afraid to admit it. Leaders know the value of proactive endings, and it's the leaders who have the guts and the courage and the audacity to end things when they should instead of when they have to that experience freedom from urgency. I know that's kind of a challenging way to end this topic, but it's just something that so often I see people struggle with, and it's because their heart is so big, and it's because they believe so much in honoring commitments, and I, I really, I think you should honor commitments, but what I need you to recognize is that commitments can be seasonal, and you need to honor your commitment. You need to do everything you can. You need to serve people exceptionally well. You need to love people exceptionally well. You need to make sure that you're doing everything you can to help other people be successful, but you need to be responsible to people and you're not responsible for people. And recognize that when you allow things to continue past their expiration date, it doesn't only just result in you getting hurt, it results in those other people getting hurt and it results in your team and your family getting hurt because that is all time that you could have spent investing in them. Leaders know the value of proactive endings. Okay, so that is the six essentials of freedom from urgency. Number one was margin because frenzy is a choice. And so you have to schedule space to ensure success. Number two was intentionality because you need to make sure as a leader, you are operating with intent and starting with the end in mind. Number three was boundaries because a river is made powerful by its banks and a leader is made or broken 
by their commitments. Number four was systems. And what we talked about with systems is a question. Do you have the systems to keep you where your vision takes you? Number five was humility because as a leader, your desire to appear important often conflicts with the work that is important. And number six was endings because you as a leader, you as an organization and as a business will produce more than you can sustain. So I hope that these principles were helpful, but more than that, I I hope that you put them into practice. Think about how these overarching essentials can be activated in your life, in your leadership, and in your business, because truly, I believe that if we actually start to focus on these, we will experience freedom from urgency. Y'all, I would be so grateful if this was helpful for you, if you shared it with someone that you know, maybe share it with your team. So many of you, we get the pictures of uh, you playing these podcasts for your team while everyone's taking notes. And I just love that because that, I believe, is impact-driven leadership. It's saying, I'm not going to let this information stay with me. I'm going to make sure it gets in the hands of other people. So I I just want you to know that I'm so grateful for you on that front. I also want to let you know, if you're new to the Path for Growth community, every Wednesday, we send out an email called Worth It Wednesday. And that's because most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. That's why I hate email. So our team set out to create one that actually is. And every Wednesday, we send out a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking Y'all, it's been so cool to see on social media and stuff how you're taking that content and you're bringing it to life in your business and your organization. And I just want you to know if you're part of that tribe, I so appreciate you. And if you want to be part of Worth It Wednesday, you can sign up with the link that's in the show notes. Y'all, please, please, please know that our whole team is rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.